a word for men today. Psalm 112. There was a pastor and a counselor who used to travel around America named Charlie Shedd. And he passed away about 20 years ago now. But he used to travel around. He gave counseling. He, he was a very personable man, a, a, an excited man uh, to be around apparently. And he, he wrote a book called Promises to Peter. And in that book, Charlie Shedd shares how the title of the message that he would give on parenting changed as he experienced fatherhood. <laughs> in his early years on the speaking circuit, before he was a father, he called it How to Raise Your Children. People came in droves to hear him. Then Charlie and his wife had a child. And it was a while before he gave that message again. And when he did, it had a new name. It was called Some Suggestions to Parents. Two more children, and a number of years later, he was calling it Feeble Hints to Fellow Strugglers. And then several years and, and children later, he seldom gave that talk at all. But when he did, the theme ran along this line. Anyone here got a few words of wisdom? You know, it's tough being a dad, isn't it? When we see ourselves, it is impossible as men to live up to our own standards, let alone the standards that we see in the Bible, the standards we're going to see here today. And here's what's tough about it. In our deepest thoughts, when we actually consider what it means to be a man in this world today, and especially a dad, we understand that dads make a lasting impression. Everybody here has been impressed upon by their father negatively or positively. And much like an identifying thumbprint, he will leave a unique pattern that will shape the lives of his children. I know I often think about my father, and I'm in my late 60s, and I, I, I'm still thinking about things regarding the thumbprint that he put upon my life. How can fathers have that positive influence in their, in their children's lives, in their families' lives, being authentic? How can they know what it means to be diligent and to have wisdom to speak into, the, into this world that we, we have today? Well, today we're going to gain some positive insights from Scripture because it's estimated that 20% of the Australian population is made up of dads. Think about that. One of, of every five people is a dad. There are approximately 4.6 million dads in Australia with an estimated 2.2 million dads currently with children under 18. <laughs> yeah, life is tough. Of these, the statistics I found this week, of these, approximately 156,000 dads in this country are single-parent fathers. And they're looking after 228,000 children. The averages of 1.5 kids per single dad, and that's just the single dads. Yes, it is very important to speak to dads today. And so Michael's asked me to speak on this particular subject today because even though we're in our missions month and we're, we're looking at that, we have a mission here in our own families, in our own society, in our own homes that, that we're working through. This psalm and others begins with the words, praise the Lord, which in the Hebrew is hallelujah. And today's theme is godly men have influence when we see mature, sound, fervent, dedicated male leadership, 
people are blessed. And they're, um, but, but men are fulfilling their God-given assignments. When they understand that their assignments of manhood actually is God-given, they become spiritual leaders. And when they do that, their homes have hope. We spoke um, a couple Sundays uh, ago about having hope. And that hope many times will come because of the relationship that dad has to God in the home. When families crumble and fall apart, I'm afraid to say it's often the result of men failing in their spiritual leadership. When men fail, the home falls apart and then all of society feels repercussions. We see that today in our society. Psalm 112, before we read it, it was written by King David. Many of us say, well, we really can't relate to King David. He was kind of bigger than life. You know, we, we think about him. He was a courageous warrior. As a teenager, he's the one that went out and killed Goliath when the armies were shivering. And he took a sword, Goliath's sword, and did something pretty cool. He cut off his head. You know, a teenage boy can do that. And he, but, but he was a great warrior. You know, he was a very courageous man. He was also a leader with great responsibilities. He, he was one of the most successful kings in all of history. He was a builder. He was an administrator. But he was also a family man. He had the responsibilities of a wife and children. And that's one area we read in the Bible where actually he wasn't successful. He failed in many ways. And the thing about King David is we are, we are able to look into his life and learn some really, really important lessons. Unfortunately, David allowed other things to distract him. Things that were good things, but they distracted him, which uh, his attention that he should give him to his family where his own children were rebelling against him. Well, we can learn here what David from what David experienced because of one simple thing. In all of this thing, David was a spiritual man. He was a man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. That's a wonderful thing for us to learn because David had clay feet. David had a lot of issues, but he was still a man after God's own heart. So we can learn from this. We can learn what a godly man is. And in this particular psalm, that's exactly what we're going to see. David gets right to the issue. I'm giving you a bit of a headway on this because there's only 10 verses in this whole psalm. But I uh, was impressed upon me that this is a psalm that speaks to men today. And yet it speaks to all of us. So let's read that psalm together. Um, I'll read it and you can just follow along if you will. And um, Psalm 112, and I hope you have your Bibles there in front of you. Otherwise, it will be on the screens. He begins this way. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. 
He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. There's something I want you to notice in this psalm. Is verse number one is, is, is the cause of what makes a man godly. And it's something we can all do. And in verses number two through ten is the effect. We'll look at that in a moment. But in verse number one, we see here that the issue for the godly man, the man who wants to follow after God, is a healthy fear of God. The undertaking of the, God, uh, the, the, um, the godly man is finding delight in his commandments. Did you see that in the verse here? When a man truly fears God and truly loves God's word, that man is on his way to being a godly man. Regardless of what he does for a living, regardless of the circumstances, he is a godly man because of two things. He fears God and he loves God's word. In God's estimation, that life is productive. That life is successful. I want you to know something else as well. Psalms 112 and Psalms 111 go together, in my opinion. Uh, I believe they were both written by David. They sound almost identical. They're very, very similar. Both have 10 verses in them. But Psalm 111 celebrates the character and the works and the attributes, if you will, of God. Whereas Psalm 112 celebrates the character and the expression of a man who would be godly. In other words, the godly person is a reflection of God working in him, shaping him or her. The godly person is an expression of a work of God. That's a wonderful thing. Look, look at what it says in verse number 10 of chapter number 11. It says, the f- this is what he ends up with, with um, Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sound familiar? He says, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praises endures forever. Listen to what church planter David Packer has to say. And I think it's a challenge for all of us today. He says, the great need of our age is godly men and women who would let the heart of God so mold their heart that they would see the lostness of the world around them. This is a trait of the great ones, the ones through whom God accomplished his works. It is the attitude of those who spend time before the Lord in prayer and with the Lord in fellowship to the point that his heart captures theirs. His will overpowers theirs and they want nothing more but for his will to be done. Men, if you and I decide that we're going to be godly men, there are going to be some things that we can count on being in our lives. I like to call them the assurances of this cause and effect. 
You know, um, if the cause is blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights greatly in his word, then it's going to be an effect in his life. And that's exactly what we're going to see on your screen there. We're going to put up the whole outline. So if you want to just jot it down, all the different seven things there, they start with C and you can just jot them down because I'm going to kind of move through this quickly. But it's an important thing to, to understand that these are actually assurances that we can have. Remember, it's, it's a frightening thing sometimes to be a man in this world. Uh, uh, the world's got all the, in fact, is so confused trying to identify who a man is. God tells you who a man is and what it means to be a godly man. And so when we look at it, we're going to see these characteristics or things that actually keep us awake at night. But if we follow after the Lord in verse number one, then we will understand that the blessings of God will be upon us and then God will do this work in our life. The first thing that we need, we need men in this world that we live in today, we need to have the assurance concerning our children. And in verse number two, he says here, he says the generation, excuse me, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed your family will be strong your family will be blessed if you are a godly man bible commentator albert barnes i like the way he 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 says things in in, in some of his commentaries um, he says the best security for the virtue and success of children is the virtue and piety of parents we don't hear that word a lot do we piety Piety means to be a person who follows after God. So he continues, he says, The surest inheritance as pertaining to happiness, respectability, and usefulness in life is that which is derived from the example, the prayers, the counsel of a pious father and mother. Today, the theme, of course, is that godly men have influence. And they'll influence their children. And we see this today. We see this in our church. We're so blessed to be a part of this church. Because we can see, we can see the effect of godly men on their children in this very church. And we can draw encouragement from it. And then when we see the ones that, that, um, that are having issues, then they have someone to come and be supportive. Because God's word says here. He says one of the effects is concerning your children, they'll be strong and they'll be blessed. We spoke about that a few weeks ago um, in our series. The second thing, the assurance that you and I can have as men is we can be assured concerning our character. This man's character is distinctive. Look at verse number three and four. He says here, wealth and riches will be in his house. And this is the point. And his righteousness endures forever regardless of what your income is regardless of what you have in the bank account your wealth and your riches have to do with your character and he says that your righteousness endures forever inflation doesn't go into your righteousness it just keeps building he says in verse number four unto the upright there arises light in the darkness he is gracious and full of compassion and righteous Gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. That reminds me of Psalm 111, verse number 4. Remember I told you the two went together? We, it, the, the verse number 4 in Psalm 111 tells us that the Lord is gracious 
and full of compassion. Where do you think this godly man got it from? He got it from his, his relationship with God, his daily devotion and his fear in the Lord and allowing God's word to penetrate his heart. This man is displaying the work of God in his character. And so what does his character do? It shines. The Bible often says that we have a testimony that shines as a light in a dark world. And that's what, exactly what he says in verse number four. He says, he says, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Men, you may be the only light in your family. You may be the only light in your community. But you are that light. And you're that light because of your relationship with the Lord. We also have the assurance concerning our conduct in how we live. Look at verse number five. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. We know he practices discretions in his dealings, in his business dealings. He, you know he's going to make good decisions. It probably has something to, to say with the way he handles money, the way he handles his finances. Verse number three reminds us that wealth and riches will be in his house. In other words, he will be prudent in the way that he deals in business. He's the guy you want to deal with. He's the guy that you want to, to go into partnership with. You want to go and work with a man who knows what it means to guide his affairs with discretion. Where did he get that from? Well, he got that from his relationship with God in verse number one. The influence on his children, the influence from his character will go into his business dealings. Do you see how it goes? Being a man today, a man of God today, has an effect on many, many people. And so verses number six and eight gives us the assurance regarding where, he, where this man's going to get his confidence from. Look at verse number six. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in his Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire of his enemies. You know, bad circumstances come. <laughs> you're, you're always going to hear some bad. There's going to be something bad that's going to happen. Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're going through an area right now and you're saying, well, I just, uh, this, this is, it's getting bad and worse. Um, you, you lose people. You, you lose opportunities. And bad circumstances happen. But it doesn't shake the godly man's confidence. He grieves. He hurts. But he's able to handle these troubling news, these troubling things. How? Because the verse says his heart is fixed. It's steadfast because his trust is in the Lord. His heart is established and firm and that affects his emotions. Many years ago, somebody challenged me with something and it bugs me to this day. And that is, uh, he challenged me, read the Bible before you listen to the news <laughs> of the day. You know, when we first arrived in, in Australia, we, we lived in Perth, and, um, and we came from Los Angeles, and, uh, and it was like black and white. And we, we went to Perth, and we never heard of a murder. We never heard of anything. We used this is 40 years ago. We used to leave our, literally leave our doors unlocked. They would shut off the streetlights at 1 o'clock in the morning because decent people were in bed. It's all different now. 
When we were living in Los Angeles, we used to have helicopters flying over our house with the police shouting out things to us regarding danger and things like this. And now in Perth, we have police in helicopters flying around. It's a dangerous world out there. And it can, it can, it can, it can take your confidence. It can shatter you. <laughs> but the Bible says here that his trust and his hope is in the Lord. Let's see how that plays out. Psalm 27, verses 3 to 5, gives us an example of this. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, in this will be my confidence. And this is it, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist says here that when he focuses his attention on that, then when the army comes, when he's encamped around, he will not fear. He will not faint. His confidence is in his relationship with the Lord. And he continues, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high on a rock. Psalm 56 uh, brings another thought into our mind, verses 3 and 4. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? These are not just whistling in the dark. This isn't just positive talk. He is saying here that he turns and he praises the Lord he rehearses in his mind the things that God does for him. You know, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, what does it start with? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, um, when Joshua um, led the children of Israel into the, into the land that God had promised them, what, what a, a battle that would have been. Can you imagine that? You've got, you've got millions of, of Jewish people who who've, um, were raised in the wilderness. And they, they, and they had 12 different tribes. Some of them wanted to be on one side of the river. And, some, and, and he was going to, to, to work on that and to do that, and he does. And at the end of his journey, he's giving them his final instructions as a man of God, as a godly man. And he, and he, and he knows that he's going to leave them with some words that they need to, to, to understand and, um, and so he does. In Joshua ch chapter 24, he talks about his confidence of what it means to walk with God. I think you'll know this verse, verses 14 and 15. He says, now therefore, he writes to the nation, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that were served on the other side of the, um, of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, we're living in a land of unbelievers. He says, make a choice. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. On this Father's Day, men, and I know that we're challenged with many different things, but on this Father's Day, Let's make a choice. Today, we're going to start serving the Lord. We're going to start seeing what it means that God has for us 
in our families, in our workplaces, and in just being a man. Assurances regarding our confidence is a result of the influence that God has upon us. Can you imagine the influence that that confidence will have on your family? And then there's the assurances regarding his charity, another C. In other words, his giving, his, his generosity. Verse number nine, he says, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. It, in other words, this man, now because he's learned discretion, because he's got a great character, he can now respond generously to the proper needs of others. He's able to discern, and so his charity is constant and has long-lasting results. He gives with confidence. And then and, and we're talking about faith, promise, missions. It goes right along with that. And then there's the, um, the assurance that we have concerning what, what his commendation is. Where does he get his, 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 his pat on the back? Where does, he get, where does he go to look for if the job is well done? Look at verse number six and verse number nine. Verse number six, it says here, surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. Drop down to verse number nine again. His and, and part down, way down. His righteousness endures forever. Do you know what a godly man's doing? A godly man is not just making a living for this week. He's not just paying the bills and trying to get the, get, the, get the family through this week or this term or this year. No, he's working on building a lasting legacy. His motivation and his view is much bigger because of the God that he is serving. God gives him that bigger picture so that his remembrance will be everlasting. That's called legacy. So, his, so what he does in giving to the poor actually endures and it makes a difference in the life. You know, Joshua was shown this way of how to build this life legacy. I showed you the scripture that he did as an old man before he departed this earth and what he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, before that, when he was getting ready, he was going to be now the leader and Moses had died and Joshua was going to be the leader, a big task. And he's going to take the children of Israel. You know the story. He's going to take them in there. So God gave him some encouragement in Joshua 1 verse number 8. This would be a great verse, men, for you to, to internalize and have in your own life. This book of the law, God tells him, shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And we can see if we read through the book of Joshua, we can see that whenever he listened to God, he won the battles. When he tried to, to, to do his own way, he had incredible failures, but... He was a man who meditated on the word of God and it changed the direction of his life. Finally, the godly person is going to cause a conviction to those around him. Not everybody's going to applaud you, men, if you're going to decide to be a godly man in this society. Your family is going to simply, uh, they're going to benefit from it greatly. 
your church, your workplace, your community, but not everybody's going to rise up and say, what a wonderful guy he is. Look at verse number um, um, 10. Uh, I, I like the way the, the David said this because he, he, he brings us back down to earth here and he says here, the wicked will see it and will be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. This man's godly testimony should have caused the wicked to turn around and to, and to repent and be like him. But instead, it caused an irritation to the wicked. So that's something that you and I need to understand is sometimes when we do good things and we live after God and we become men after God's own heart, we're going to get some reaction. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The wicked will see the evidence of God's blessing on the life and the, and the home of the man of God, and he won't be able to explain it. Again, Albert Barnes sums it up for us when he, uh, he, he comments about this, this, whole, this whole psalm here, and he's talking about the desire of the wicked shall perish. He says this. It's a rather long quote, but listen, I'll read it. I'll try to read it carefully. He shall not be able to accomplish his desire. Speaking of the wicked. He will not be able to carry out his purposes. He will be disappointed and all his cherished plans will come to naught. This is in strong contrast with what is said in the psalm would occur to the righteous. They would be prospered. They would be happy. They would be able to carry out their plans. They would be respected while they're living and remembered when they're dead. They would find God interposing on their behalf in the darkest hours. They would be firm and calm in the day of danger and in the time of trouble. They would put their trust in the Lord and all would be well. Surely there is an advantage, Barnes says, in uh, advantage in our world in being a friend of God. It's amazing. It just The thought just came to my mind. I'm quoting from a man who's been dead for years who I've never met. I'm not quoting from an evil man. I'm not quoting from a wicked man. I'm quoting from a man who wrote down something that lived in his life and, and we can see it in our own life. What's your psalm going to look like? What legacy are you going to have? You know, we live in a world today and that, that is, is just filled with distractions for men and women. And uh, we're, we're very busy. I think we've always been busy. The world's always been busy, but now we have instant this and that and the other. You know, godly men make a priority of their family and a priority of their time with God. Back in 1974, there was a folk singer and a composer named Harry Chapman, and he married a, a lady named Sandra. And they, they worked together, and they, he was really quite famous during those days. And, um, and he released a song that captured the situation of a father that was just too busy to spend time with his son. Even while his son vowed to be just like him. Harry had a very busy schedule touring. His wife um, had, had written a poem um, years before called Cat in the Cradle. Some of you may know about it. Many people wrote lots of songs about it, but 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 he's the first one. And, um, and his wife wrote this poem called Cat in the Cradle. 
And it was about the relationship, not about him and his family, but another person and their family and the relationship that that dad had and the effect that it had on his family. And she wrote that poem and showed it to Harry. And Harry was very busy at the time. She goes, oh, that's a nice poem. It might make a good song someday and put it away. Everything changed, though, with the birth of their own son, Joshua. He picked up that song again, and it changed his life dramatically. It's reflected in Sandra's poem, which Harry composed into that famous ballad, Cats in the Cradle. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, It's pretty old. I won't sing it because I won't be able to handle it. (laughs) But he says here, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and there were bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And while he was talking, uh, and he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. Well, the song continues, and a couple more stanzas, verses um, relating situations when the son was growing up, having his 10th birthday, and, and how the dad didn't have time to play ball with him, but the son was still smiling and saying, I'm going to be like him someday. And then the son goes away to college and, 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 he, and he comes back and, and the dad's got that relationship. The son's just too busy. The son's becoming like the dad. Then it ends with a retired man talking with his son on the telephone. And the last stanza goes like this. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day and I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. And he said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Well, Harry Chapman tragically died in a car crash in 1981 at the age of 38. He never actually saw his son Joshua grow into manhood, but he traveled with him. He he wouldn't let that be his life. And um, so I did some research this week because that song really had an effect on my life before my son was born. And um, Joshua is now 50 years old. He'll be 51 in November. That's how much I researched him. And he now reflects on that same song with great pride in his father. And he follows in his father's legacy as a board member of the Harry Chapman Foundation. Influence is very important, men. And what God is going to do in your life is going to be reflected in how your kids respond to you. Let me share a second illustration. This is one that just came to me yesterday or the day before, and I was thinking about it. We all know about Billy Graham. We've heard about Billy Graham, the famous evangelist. He had a son named Franklin Graham, and we know about him, hopefully. The elder son of Billy and Ruth Bell Graham has served as president and the CEO of Samaritan's Purse since 1979. And as president and CEO of the Billy Graham Association since the year 2001. And under his leadership, that is Franklin Graham, Samaritan's Purse has met the needs of the poor, the sick, and the suffering people in more than 170 countries. Um, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham, of course, passed away several years ago, but Franklin Graham is 71 years old today, or this, this week, this year. 
And interesting man because uh, he's, he's a little bit older than me, but I followed him a lot when, when I was young because in his teenage years, he had a, a world-famous evangelist as a father who he says was the same in the home as he was on the platform. He would take his son and have devotions with him. He would read in the Bible. He made sure that, that he knew that there was a God who loved him and there was a dad who loved him. But he rebelled. And during his college years, he was actually expelled out of university. You have to be pretty, pretty bad to be expelled out of university. He was expelled out of university because of his, his, his antics. He was reacting to his father. He was reacting to, to, to the goodness and, the, and the, the teachings that he had. And he became a, a terrible rebel to the point where, where his father and his mother were heartbroken during this time. But his dad didn't give up. I'm going to, uh, there was a video that I was trying to put together to show you, but it just didn't work. So I'm just, I, I wrote it down here. And let me explain some things. Franklin was raised in a faithful Christian home, but he rebelled in his teens. This rebellion did not last forever, though. His father intervened. Maybe this will encourage you. At the age of 22, he was on a trip to Switzerland in 1974 with his dad. Billy talked to his son about the direction of his life. Looking him straight in the eye, he says, I want you to know that your mother and I sense that there is a struggle for the soul of your life, and you're going to have to make a choice. Well, these words troubled Franklin Graham as he continued to travel Europe with a bottle of scotch in one hand. One night in a hotel room in Jerusalem, Franklin's life changed forever. He describes this in a passage from his 1995 biography, Rebel with a Cause, Finally Comfortable Being a Graham. He says that night, instead of going to the bar for a couple of beers, he found himself alone in his room reading through the Gospel of John. And when, and quote, when I came to the third chapter, I read not just that Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again, but I also grasped that Franklin Graham had to be born again as well. Now, I tell you that story because Franklin Graham received Jesus as his savior that day. And God is, use, is using him in, in a wonderful way uh, around the world. But his dad had, had that influence. His dad spoke into his life and challenged him to make a choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may have children who are rebelling today. Take heart, but also take action. You know, there's three things that I'm going to close with as I appeal to you to be a godly man today. Number one is understand the influence that you have. You really do have a powerful influence in the life of other people around you. Number two is identify those priorities that you must have in your life if you're going to be a man of God, if you're going to be a person of God. Understand those priorities and make them your priorities. You know what they'll be? They'll be a reflection of God in you. They'll be a reflection just like Psalm 111 is reflected in Psalm 112. And then finally, don't shirk your responsibilities. Thrive in your responsibilities. Embrace them with discernment, with wisdom. God has put you in this spot, in this place for a reason. 
Let's go back to Psalm 112 and let's close with reading again verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer and we'll have our final song. And I hope and I pray that this will be an encouragement for you. And whatever you're going through right now, God is going to do a work in your life and he's doing it right now. And you're here for a reason today. You made a good choice. There's a lot of things you could have been doing today, but you came to church. And you're meeting with God. And God's going to speak to you now. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And you have promised in your word that it will not return to you without accomplishing the purpose that you have. So Lord, we as men, and, and there are women here today, and there's young people today, we need to determine to be men and women of God. And Lord, as we do this, I pray that you'll open up these, our eyes to the priorities that we must have in our life, and we will see that there's a church here who loves them, a church who wants to support them in this walk with you. Lord, I pray for our children, especially, and for our families, that they will be, as your word says, strong. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.